0: Good morning, everybody. My name is John Adams. I'm the worship, discipleship, kind of content creation pastor here on staff. It's an honor this morning to be bringing the word and sitting under God's word with you. I want you to know, whenever I teach the Bible, I'm always preaching to my own heart as much as I'm preaching to your hearts. And so we're going to learn together today some of the incredible things that God does. This past week, uh, my daughter got sick, but she got that kind of sick where it's like, Baby, you, you look sick for like 10 seconds, and then when I turn my back, you're like running and laughing and playing, and then I turn back around. It's like in Mario, when you would turn around on the ghost, the ghost would stop. That's what she does. And so this week, she was sick, she was coughing, and I, I told her like, hey, you're, you're good enough to go to school, let's go, and she'd have this like cough attack for a quick second. Well, it won, she won. I mean, whatever she does, I, she just got me wrapped around her fingers, so i just like, okay, baby, let's— stay home and watch a movie. so we watched this one movie and it was one of the best movies I had seen from Disney in a very, very long time. Now I know Disney has been doing some questionable things, but this movie was so good. And I was very thankful because it was the perfect sermon illustration to start off with. So it's this movie where this grandma, she's um, running from these kind of scary people who have taken over their village. And while she's running away with her husband, she's got the three daughters in her arms, her husband, dies because he's fighting off these bad guys. And all of a sudden, and I have no idea how, Disney did a terrible job of explaining this, a magical candle just appeared. It's like, cool, magical candle. Magical candle has magical powers. It gives the family magical powers, and their powers are used for the city all around them. And so it's this awesome story of, of kind of what extraordinary people deal with. But the main character is this one girl named Maribel. Maribel gets to this age where at at a certain age, you get your powers, I guess. Cool, cool story, Disney, love it. But at a certain age, you get your powers and the whole city gathers around to see this new child, get their powers to see how it's gonna help the city around them. And so everybody's around, there's this big ceremony, it's this really cool scene. And the moment was supposed to happen where she was supposed to get her powers and everybody in the town was gonna be encouraged because all of her powers would be used to help them. And then suddenly, Nothing happened. She doesn't get powers. And so for the rest of her life, she has to live this existence as an ordinary person amongst people who do extraordinary things. She's got to live her life in this way where other people in the town will ask her, they'll say, hey, tell us about your family. And she'll tell them all the cool powers. And they say, but tell us your powers. She's like, well, let me tell you about my family. And she's worried about being, uh, well, she kind of gives this kind of false notion that yeah, I matter too, okay? I know that I don't have powers. I know that I'm nobody, but I matter too. If you know that movie, go ahead and shout out the name. Encanto. It's a wonderful movie, Maribel Madrigal. But she feels a feeling that we know as well. You know, you might have gone to high school with people who are doing extraordinary things, doing incredible things. Some of us, as we're getting older, we're noticing our body starts to break down. I know I'm only 34, but buddy, it's happened, okay? And we see other people doing incredible things around us, but we might feel like God won't use us because we're just not extraordinary enough. We don't have enough going on. We're not smart enough. We're not rich enough. And we feel like our lack of whatever it is is what keeps God from using us. I know most of us can relate with that feeling, but there's some guys in the scriptures that we're gonna read today that really do have this exact same feeling. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke 2, verses eight through 21. We're in a series called Fear Not. We're looking at the different times in the Christmas story where people are told, fear not. Luke 2, eight through 21. It says, And suddenly there was an angel with a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. And the angel went away from them into heaven. And the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see that this thing has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary, she treasured up all of these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told to them. And at the end of eighth days, he was circumcised. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray today, Lord, that you would help remind us that our lives are spent making your name great and not our own. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us that your greatness is so unfathomably big that when you're near, people take notice. And so God, I pray that you'd help us do what, do what we can't do, God. You can only do this in our hearts. God, convince us of your glory, convince us of your greatness, and change and affect our hearts. So Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. So the first thing I wanna kind of pull from this text that we read today, I know it's a little bit longer of a text, but hey, Christmas only happens once a year, let's read long text, okay? But in this story, the first thing we see is the shepherds were faithfully working and they were nobody special, right? When we think of biblical heroes, or when we think of heroes in any story, we think of people who are great, people who are grand, people who should be used by God because they have so much character and so much charisma. And yet that's not what we see in the Bible. I don't know if you know this, but when you're reading the Bible, there is only one hero. Like track back all the way back to Genesis, Adam was supposed to be the hero of the story, totally screwed it up, right? Abraham, supposed to be the hero of the story, sold his sister into slavery for a little bit. Then we've got Moses, right? Moses, supposed to be this incredible hero, pulling the Israelites out of Egypt, too angry to enter the promised land. You've got Noah, Noah, actually saved the world and then got real weird afterward. There is no hero in the Bible except for Christ. And so when we're looking at the hero of this story that we just read, we need to know God, when he uses somebody, it doesn't typically look like the heroes we hear about, specifically in other religions, right? A lot of other religions have heroes in their stories that do incredible and great things, but our God, the true living God, does things differently. Luke 2.8, it says, In the same reason there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. Think about how crazy this is. When God chooses to reveal who he is to the world, he picks shepherds. He picks shepherds. I don't know if you know this about shepherds and who shepherds are. Shepherds were not, you know, when we grow up in, in, in uh, you know church as kids and they've got felt board things and shepherds, oh my gosh, they're clean shepherds with their beautiful little lambs. They're so cute, oh my goodness. it's not what it is. Shepherds were the outcasts. Shepherds were guys that typically had some kind of criminal record. They were the guys that nobody wanted to be around. If you were walking down the street as a, as a person at night, you would probably cross the street to the other side when you saw a shepherd walking your way, why? They had to be out in the wilderness all the time protecting these sheep. They had to, you know, think of King David, who was a shepherd, he had to fight off lions, he had to fight off bears. That's crazy. I don't wanna fight off lions and bears, I would rather sit at my computer. King David, tough dude, shepherds in their age, tough guys. They were despised. Jesus tells stories of shepherds where they're hired hands, right? And when the danger comes, they split and they get out of there. They were the despised people of their world. And I I was, I was prepping for the sermon. I was like, ah, I know who a great equivalent would be. Have you ever seen the show Deadliest Catch? Okay, Deadliest Catch is one of the coolest shows in the world. These guys go out and they put their lives in complete danger so that you can dip a crab leg in some butter. But these are guys who are the outcasts of society. If you look at that show, a lot of them have criminal records, a lot of them have substance abuse issues, and they've just kind of found a place outside of the rest of society. And so when you're thinking of shepherds, and you're thinking of the glorious nature of God, and if you were in their age, you would not think, man, yeah, okay, Yahweh, God of the Old Testament, He showed Himself to shepherds, but He did. God does things in incredible ways. And I love that the Bible reminds us of this. If you look in the Psalms, Psalm 136 verse 23, it is he who remembered us in our low estate, his steadfast love endures forever. Christian, God's not expecting you to be a big shot. I know the whole world tells you if you wanna be important, in this life, you gotta be a big shot, you gotta have the money, you gotta have the power, you gotta have the pleasure. That's not what God wants from you. He doesn't want you to be famous, he wants you to be faithful. I love this Psalm 103 verse 14. It says, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we're dust. You know, I read these verses and I'm comforted. I'm comforted because how many of us have that that feeling internally, like we gotta prove ourselves to God. We gotta prove to God how good we can be for Him. We gotta prove to God that we're not gonna screw up in that same way again. We gotta prove to God that we're, we're, we're farther along in life than we were before, and we're not gonna screw up in all the same ways, and you know, hey God, thanks for the salvation, but hey, I can do this. God, I got this. A lot of us have that feeling. Funny thing is, <laughs> even in those moments God is faithful, but He remembers our frame, He knows our frame, He knows that we're dust. He's not expecting you to be more than you are. Now thankfully He does grow us, Holy Spirit indwells us, He develops us, that's the process of sanctification. Quick side story, my son this past week was wild, Clive walks up to me, and he goes, hey dad, he calls me dad, I don't know how he calls me dad, he's from Florida, dad, he says dad, sometimes." Sometimes I love Jesus and sometimes I don't love Jesus. And he says, sometimes, like, so, like when I mean, he says, when, when I say that, I mean like, sometimes I love following Jesus. I love doing those things, but sometimes I just don't. I do the wrong thing. What, what, what does that mean? I said, you're alive. Good job. And I said, son, like the process of growing in the Lord, that's the process of sanctification. You're growing more like Christ over time. But listen, son, the days where you fail, where, where you feel like you've utterly squandered the grace of God. When you're faithless, He remains faithful. I think it's important for us to remember this. God uses people like shepherds who are faithful, but are not big shots. I love this quote um, by Roger Ellsworth. It says, it's the key for low Christians to remember their high position in Christ and the key for the high Christian to remember their low position as mortals. When we're standing in front of the the cross of Jesus Christ, the the ground is level. There's no one greater, there was no one lesser. We all just need to remember this. God uses ordinary people for His great ends. The next point is this, God's greatness, (laughs) rightfully, God's greatness should fill us with fear. Luke 2 verse nine, it says, "'And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. I mean, think of this moment. It gets crazier in the story, okay? But think of this moment. These shepherds have been shepherds their whole lives. They're just out in the fields hanging out. They see stars, they see sheep batting and goats bleeding. I think that's what they call it for goats. Their whole lives they're doing this and then all of a sudden, bam, an angel appears in front of their faces. Now when God's glory goes out, we see this multiple times in the Bible, when God's glory is present in a story, there's weightiness to it, there's substance to it, there's, there's umph behind the glory of God and, and rabbis in the past have called this the Shekinah glory of God. That's not a word that's in the Bible, it describes something that the Bible's talking about, kind of like the word Trinity. Trinity is not in the Bible, but it's describing a reality of the Bible. They call this the Shekinah glory of God. And I wanted to, kind of draw this line through the Bible, where we see these moments where God shows his glory. First one is in Exodus verse, or chapter 40, verse 34. It says, and the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God's glory has so much substance and so much weight to it that it's able to fill the tabernacle. Or then you look at the book about, keep going in Exodus, Exodus 24, 17, it says, "'Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord "'was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain "'in the sight of the people of Israel.'" That's what the glory, it's like this devouring fire. The people of Israel are standing down at the base of the mountain, they look up, Moses goes up into that mountain, he gets tablets of stone, he writes 10 commandments on it, goes back down, they break the stones, goes back up and is in the presence of the glory of God. And it's so substantial that when he comes back down, he's radiating the glory of God. It literally says his skin shines like the glory of God. You see where God's glory is, it affects everything. And for these shepherds, it affects everything. I also love this verse in Revelation 21, 23 about the glory of God. It says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine for the glory of God gives its light and the lamp is the lamb. God's glory is so great that one day in the new heavens and new earth, we will not even need a sun because the glory of God will be so great. God's glory is not like our glory. Our glory is passing. Our glory fades, our, our glory falls off. How many of you have seen a, a hearse driving through town and you're just like, man, it, literally, I mean, maybe it doesn't matter, it's too strong, but like all of that earthly glory is now gone. Anything that they worked for to build up their own name, to make their name great, to make their own glory greater, it fades. And yet the Lord's glory is substantial. It's eternal because it's a, it's a radiation of who he is. It's one of the reasons why in the Old Testament we read of, of prophets going before the Lord and he says, listen, you can't even see my face. My glory is so intense that you can't even see my face. And this is why it's really important for us to understand this. A lot of us are sitting in a seat and we feel like I'm saved because I'm a good enough person. I'm not that bad. I haven't killed anybody. I, I'm not a you know, raging heroin addict, I'm not that bad but that's because you're comparing yourself to the person next to you. When you stand in front of the the judgment throne of God, you will be before the very glory that we're speaking of right now. And if you don't have the precious blood of Christ to protect you, to make you perfect, it will not be a good day. So when we're talking about the glory of God, we need to understand it is immeasurably, Great, And that's why when these shepherds are standing in this field, they are filled with fear. So the question is, God is that great and that glorious, should we flee from God? Like, do you remember that scene where Peter is there with Jesus and, and Jesus tells him he's on the boat and he's like, you know, Peter's been out fishing all day. He's not pulling up anything. It's just like, bro, you're a professional fisherman. You should be able to pull up something, okay? Pulls up nothing. Jesus says, try one more time. And he pulls up this load of fish that is so great that it says their, their, their uh, nets started to break. And instead of Peter stopping and going, yes, Jesus, you're incredible. He falls on his knees and he says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You see, when any of us encounter the glory of God, and you know, like me, that you're a sinner, it should deeply humble us. It would make us fall to our knees and say, Lord, depart from me. I'm too sinful to be used. So God rightly with his glory should be feared. And yet the beauty of the Bible is we see God's humility. God's glory should fill us with fear, but God's humility should fill us with comfort. Let's keep going. Luke 2 verses eight or 10 through 12 it says, and the angel said to him, to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This is the moment. When you think of the greatest miracles in the Bible, this should be one of the moments that just shout out to you, God is doing incredible things. The eternal Son of God is stepping into the world. This is God's humility. This is the moment that changed everything. Like, like think about this. These shepherds are sitting in a field near Bethlehem, so they're probably you know, familiar with Yahweh. They're probably familiar with the history of Israel. Think about their history from the point that we talked about before. Think about David, right? Their their story had not been great for a long time. You had King David, that was the golden age of Israel. All the money, all the power, their city was protected. It was incredible. And then just like the rest of the heroes in the Bible, David screws up pretty bad. Sleeps with a girl, has her husband killed. And I know God forgives. and I know David's still a man after God's own heart, but from that moment on, things changed. Then David has a son. At some point, all of his sons are like trying to kill him. It's a crazy life. He's got a son named Solomon. Solomon takes over of the kingdom, and it starts off amazing. He's got more wealth than anybody, more wisdom than anybody. It's incredible. But then he decides to choose women who serve other gods, and his life tanks. And then you've got Rehoboam and Jeroboam. They split the kingdom in half because they're such terrible leaders. And leader after leader after leader, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And that's why you've got the prophets who are going, guys, if we just turn back to God, things will go okay. And they do sometimes, and then they don't. And it gets worse and worse. And then in the book of Malachi, it ends. And there's 400 years of silence where no one hears the voice of God, where no one hears a prophet speaking truly the words of God. 400 years of silence. Now, if you can recall back to your younger days, there is a difference between a parent who is angry and yelling and a parent who has gone from angry and yelling to angry and silent. You're like, oh, I've got it coming. They've just snapped. They're crazy now. But for God, there's this period when we don't hear His voice. And this moment is God shouting forth, I'm here. But it doesn't happen the way you would expect. It happens in a way that's very, very humble. Because as we said, God uses ordinary average means to bring about great Rescue, Right? Think of it this way. The king of glory, the eternal king of glory does not come to be born in this amazing, elaborate castle with a great, big throne. He's born into a feeding trough. He wasn't born into some huge city with extravagant wealth. He's born in an overcrowded inn in some obscure town in Judea. He's not born with these amazing royal robes around him, with jewelry around him and crowns around him. He's born in swaddling rags. He's not born to the fanfare of all the important people, but among the livestock in an inn. Now think later in Jesus' Jesus life when this moment happens where they they expect that Christ is gonna come and rescue them from the Romans who've invaded the the first century Palestinian place. They expect that there's gonna be a Messiah, a savior who comes and saves them. And instead of riding in on some great white war horse that's gonna win back the day, he rides in on a donkey's colt. And instead of dying this incredible death in an amazing war and battle, he dies a criminal's death. On a cross, God's humility should fill us with so much comfort. Now, before we move on, I wanna pull apart um, this word Christ, Jesus Christ. A lot of people would think like, oh, that's Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ. And oh, I know the Christ's, they're great people. If you heard of Joseph Christ, makes great tables. He's a wonderful carpenter, very sturdy. But that Mary Christ, out of wedlock and everything, y'all, it's not a last name, Christ is, is the word Messiah. He's the long awaited one, the one that they've been waiting to set the captives free. He's the savior. He's the one, Acts five thirty-one says, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, he is the long awaited Messiah, the one who had come into the world. Now, if you're tracking with me so far, we've talked about the fact that these these shepherds are just ordinary people, and yet God somehow is extraordinarily great. His greatness is immeasurable. His glory should cause us to fear, and yet his humility would let us know that God still wants us near and close. There's this amazing aspect of God that He is humble. And so now like, I wanna ask this question, Like, what should be our heart's response? That long-awaited one is finally here. His glory is just absolutely terrifying, but His, his humility is deeply comforting. What should be our heart's response? It's this, God's work should fill our hearts with praise. Luke 2, 13 through 20, it says, "'And suddenly there was an angel there's with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see that this thing has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went away with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in a manger. And when they saw it, they had made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered, And what the shepherd told them, but Mary treasured these things in her heart. She pondered them in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen and had been told about. Again, imagine what this would have been like. These ordinary, regular shepherds, they're living their life day in and day out. And then all of a sudden, the sky is filled with angelic hosts that would change your life, right? Like if you see God's glory put on display that much, it would change your life. But I love their response here. It's the funniest response ever. It's, well, we're gonna go in and see if that actually happened. I feel like if I saw billions of angels in the sky, I'd be like, I bet it did happen. And Luke writing as a doctor, just very, it's like Dwight from The Office writing a happy birthday, it is your birthday period. It's a statement. But what we need to see here is that their reaction is what our reaction should be as God works in our lives. Their reaction here is a a reaction of praise and of telling other people about the greatness of God. Look, we're we're coming up on Christmas and it's a wonderful day, but I want you to notice something if you have young kids, I want you to notice something that they're gonna do. They're gonna get a toy and they're gonna say, they're they're gonna be so happy, they're gonna be praising What they're knowing and what they're feeling in that moment is that 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 item, that thing is not good enough until it's expressed. Like the enjoyment of a thing is not great, it's not complete until it's finally expressed. We are naturally people who worship. Right now, the World Cup is happening. Do not tell anybody what the score is. (laughs) Recording it, watching it after. That if you watched a soccer game like that, a World Cup game, and you just saw a bunch of people sitting in their chair watching, looking, you know, watching the ball kick back and forth, it would feel incomplete, right? It'd feel weird. But the truth of the matter is we are people who were built to, excl- to, to express and proclaim the greatness of whatever it is that we are dealing with. And that's what the shepherds did in this moment. They're shouting the praises of God. They're sharing the greatness of God. C.S. Lewis, writing about this very thing, he says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. And it is the appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. For all of us, whether you're ordinary, average, just like me, God is doing something great. And when you express the greatness of God to people, that worship is complete, but they also hear the joy in you. They want to hear more about the work that God is doing. We see this in Acts 4, when John and Peter They're they're going out, they've seen crazy things. They're just going out telling everybody about Jesus. And at one moment, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, they capture them, they pull them in, and the Bible literally says, we're annoyed with what you're talking about. What a funny thing to say to somebody. We're annoyed with what you're talking about. They say, we want you to stop that. John and Peter say this, whether it's right or wrong, doesn't matter. We cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and what we have In our lives as just ordinary, regular, average people, God is doing something miraculous in your heart. You realize even your desire to love God is a miracle. Like we're so selfish, we're so sinful, we're so broken. It is a miracle when we choose to love God. Thankfully, the Bible says He loved us first, but God does every day average, ordinary things that are miraculous. And we need to be people who express that praise just like the shepherds did. You know, so I wanna just kind of bring this home for some of us. Some of us in this room, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you're like, bro, God, John, God could not use me. Every single day is, is just this crazy town of dishes, laundry. Kids are going in this room. Break it all apart, put it all back together. They go to the next room, break it all apart, I clean everything up. John, how could God use me to his glorious ends if my life is just so monotonous? If that's you, remember the shepherds. Maybe you're an office worker and you're working at a job that, like, yes, it's providing for your family. But every day you go and you do the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. And you're looking at the weeks of your life just getting cut off week by week by week. You're knowing, hey, my time on this earth is shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And I gotta fill out this report and I gotta do this paperwork and I gotta call this salesperson. And over and over you just feel like God could not use me because I'm just so average. If that's you, remember the shepherds. Maybe you're a college student. You have absolutely no money because you're a college student and you're about to get a a degree that's gonna give you less money (laughs) so you're gonna have student loans and you're living off of ramen every single day. Pause real quick, guys, ramen is incredible. Can we stop just like down crying, like decrying ramen all the time? That's a gift from God, thank you, Lord. But if that's you and you're like, John, my, my existence is studying and studying and studying and I'm trying to get this job that I probably don't even want, but like I, my parents told me I had to be successful and so I'm gonna go out and get this big time job with this communications degree. That's a joke if you don't know that. <laughs> if that's you, remember the shepherds. God uses ordinary things. Maybe you're single and you're like, look, <laughs> I thought at this point in my life I would have a, a spouse, I'd have kids, I'd have a white picket fence, I'd have a beautiful house with nice cars and the dog running around. And John, my life doesn't look like I thought it would look like. And so not only that, but I'm also having to pay all the bills and do all the house stuff and do, and, and life is just over and over monotonous. If that is you, remember the shepherds that God can use anything and anyone to his glorious ends. So if you're worried, if you're fearing right now that God won't use you because you're not in a glamorous position, God uses ordinary people, ordinary means, ordinary situations to produce glorious stories of His faithfulness and His redemption. You and I are just called to be faithful. So my prayer for all of us is that we would just give up on trying to write our own story, that we'd give up trying to be the big shot and we would just look to Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that that you redeem normal people. That we, So often we, we glorify really hard stories in the church and it's amazing, God, that you do that. It's absolutely incredible. But so many of us, Lord, feel like our story is just not that important because we've not done all these crazy things and we've not walked in all these crazy ways. But the reality is even the most mundane sinner turning to Jesus is a miracle. And God, what's amazing is that you actually change nations through ordinary people. You change the world through 12 ordinary guys, fishermen. You are tax collectors, you use ordinary people for incredible things and that's to your glory, not to ours. And so God, I pray for every single person in here as we're coming up on the Christmas season, the light of the world is now on the earth that, that, that we're reflecting on over the Christmas season, Lord. I pray that we would get excited that you have called us into this incredible story of redemption and that we wouldn't waste our days fearing that you are not gonna use us, but we would look for all of the small ways that you're using us to bring about redemption for people. So Lord, we love you. We don't deserve your grace. Certainly don't deserve your love, but you give it in abundance. And so Jesus, today we pray that you be glorified and that you move in us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. If you guys would stand with us and worship.